Actually, let's first check if we can hear each other. Oh, there, there we go. Come Aha. in loud and clear. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so first up, um, corrections, apologies. In the previous episode on the racket, I may or may not have said the word bobsters when I met mobsters. I'm glad you're bringing this up. It's uh, obviously been weighing on this country for a while now that you've said that. And I wanted to clear the air, give you the opportunity to clear the air about it. I am sincerely sorry to all bobs everywhere. You are not all bootleggers and and. A good violent, portion violent of you people. are. The science shows that, but uh, <laughs> not all of you. Um, did you also want to talk about some of your dad's notes from the racket? I thought uh, those yeah. were pretty interesting. Yeah, they were probably fresher in your mind than mine since I read his oh, okay. email yesterday, but work and <laughs> medical stuff came up, and so I didn't really have the time to take it all in. Yeah, no worries. So he pointed out something that we both should have picked up on and I'm kind of embarrassed that that I didn't, at least. Uh, so Nick Scarcy, the head mob boss, Scarcy, Scarface. You know, that had occurred to me early on, but I never actually articulated it. So I, Dad stole my thought. Oh, well, there you go. He's a thought criminal. <laughs> the other thing that he pointed out with this connection with Al Capone was that perhaps... Nick Scarcy's hatred of women might have been linked to, I guess, the well-known fact that Al Capone had syphilis. Oh, ho, ho, ho. And in which case, women were literally poisoned to him. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense, actually. Yeah, so maybe it's not quite the uh, the representation of the, the bad representation. <laughs> Uh, the homophobic representation that we thought it was. It's a bad representation of someone suffering from an STD, but yeah. you know, oh, yeah. that's funny. I wonder how widely known back then Capone's syphilis was. I mean, I guess it would have to be. He doesn't strike me as a very subtle guy. So, so that's, that's that apology. There's Round that apology. Uh, the other things that we keep getting this note from our, our various beta testers yeah. I guess we have to clarify what we're exactly doing here. Yeah, we can't just jump into it blindly and assume you all are following along. I'd like to, but... Yeah, so let's, I guess, take a moment to review what we do. Um, I sit here and make the yakety-yak. You sit there and make the yakety-yak. Uh, but we are uh, reviewing, more technically, all the Oscar-nominated movies and then scoring them by various categories. Right, so... Yeah, exactly. We're introducing the Best Pictures nominees and winners. We're reviewing them, and we're doing this in order of the year. We review them on various categories, and then at the end, we decide whether or not we're going to nominate them for our own personal award that I think we should do by year. That's the other thing too. We have a hard time explaining what's going on because we're kind of figuring it out as we go along yeah, ourselves. It's, it's hard because, you know, we can't actually do like the Oscars, give the Oscar to, cause that's all copyrighted in jazz. So, you know, it's the more yeah. like the not Yeah. We've been calling it the not um, which I think is a good name and a not colon subtitle for it. That kind of matches the movie, but we'll, 
we'll see how well it'll that be holds refined. Up. You know, once we've got a real good feel for this, we'll redo all these early episodes. So that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Just get it really hammered down perfectly. Perfectly. But the name of our podcast is Come Back a Star, a movie yes. award party. A movie award party. Yeah. I'm Laura. That's Jason. Hi, I'm Jason. That's actually probably what we should have done in the beginning. <laughs> uh, it's a, you know, it's a DIY podcast, man. Now, we're not going to strict any of your rules, rigid guidelines. I could barely form sentences. You expect me to yeah. stick to like some kind of script? It's It's been a long day, hasn't it? Oh, my God. Oh, a long day, yes. But by <laughs> golly, I am jazzed about the movie we're about to cover. Yes, so, I thought that you were probably kept up all night just like thinking about how cool it was. I mean, it was pretty cool and it did keep me up, but. Yeah, today we are talking about Come not oh, come Back a Star is the name That's of the podcast. That's the name of the podcast, silly Billy. This See, called... I'm pretty tired too. You're not, the, you're not the only one who gets <laughs> yeah, to be tired. We might have to rethink our recording schedule. Maybe do it for like weekends before evening, but we'll discuss that later. Or or this is better because it's funnier. It is funnier. We're probably like less self-conscious of just hurling it all into the ears of our listeners. and Right into your ear hole. Right, right into that ear canal. Seventh Heaven, directed by Frank Borsage, starring Janet Gaynor and Charles Farrell. Uh, it was nominated for a lot of awards. I think it was the first movie because it was like the first Academy Awards season. It was the first one to like be nominated for director, writer, actress, and actor. All all those oh, wow. all those guys. And I definitely agree with all of that. I th- I think to be completely unbiased and undetached about all of this, uh, this is my personal favorite of the bunch we've reviewed so far. Yeah, we're not. Well, you know, let, let's not jump ahead of ourselves. But I. I'm getting the feeling that this one's going to score high. Let's it is. Put, let's it put is. it that way. It's it's pretty perfect. It's it's a really really good marriage of all a lot of different elements. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like let's get into it. This is the part of the show where we review the plot and also kind of summarize it for you as we're going ahead. In case you guys didn't do the reading and watch the movies before listening to the podcast, as I expect everyone to do. Why do we even make a syllabus if you people <sighs> don't stick to it? <laughs> Uh, I'm a little hesitant to go too deeply into the plot just because so, you know, I do want people to seek this movie out and watch it. And I feel like so much of the joy of watching it is like seeing the plot kind of play out. So, oh, well, how are you going to do this without summarizing it to a certain extent? Yeah. So I think what <sighs> it is from 1927. So maybe spo- yeah, spoilers I mean, are OK. Spoilers are OK. Uh, but let's see. I think a good way to start would be to kind of maybe give the history of it. Apparently it was a play, much like the racket was. Okay. And I really think it makes sense that this was the last year really of silent movies being nominated and kind of the end of silent movies, because you can see similarly to the racket, there were a lot of title cards, more than you are used to seeing in earlier silent films. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's basically just like dialogue, really, how many title cards there are. Yeah. And I think that's part of what makes, you know, compared to something like Sunrise, which also starred Janet Gaynor, just more personal. 
And so I think, you know, that we were introduced to, uh, well, just pre-World War One Paris. Yeah. We, we start off our story in Paris with, um, with our hero, Chico. Not a Marx brother, Yeah, not, not the Marx brother. It was, it's a testament to how good this movie was that we weren't constantly giggling at his name. And, you know, St. Ciccolini and all of that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chico works with his good friend, the rat. He's he's credited as such in everything, and boy, it's good casting. Oh yeah, they they found a uh, found a guy who does resemble a rat. I mean, I think it's helped by makeup and and things like that. I True. Think they, I think they blacked out all but his two front teeth or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he he I guess went on to be a pretty good uh, steady character actor too. Let me see. He played rats consistently, or. <laughs> I mean, not always rats, sometimes a weasel, uh, sometimes a ferret. He he was pretty versatile. And that man's name was, come on, where's that? George E. Stone. And that is a name I recognize. Uh, hmm. I couldn't tell you what else, but anyhow, it's kind of, we're starting off in kind of a rustic Phantom of the Opera scenario where yeah. our hero is in the sewers of Paris with... With his assistant rat. Yes, yeah, so assistant, please, the rat. The he, rat. He's not just a rat. He's, he's not the just, rat. He is the sewer rat to end all um, sewer rats. Yeah, so they're working in, in the Paris sewer, I guess, cleaning it out, which uh, from what we could tell mostly involves like moving around old blankets that have been shoved in the sewer with a stick. Yeah, I guess just being kind of maintenance. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's funny. This whole movie. What's one of the special things about it is that it is all focused on the poorest of poor people. That's true. And his aspiration, this handsome Chico played by Charles Farrell, is to be doing the exact same thing, but in the street. He wants to be a street washer. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's summit it, of his ambitions. Yeah, I I love that about his character is that his. He has very reasonable aspirations and he's just so excited to be a street washer as like a noble profession. It's not in a it's not in a dopey sort of way. I mean, it's kind of funny, but yeah, it, you don't think that it's because he's uh, that because he's like unambitious or, or anything like that. He just really likes the idea of being a street washer. Yeah. I mean, he sees Monsieur Gobin. I'm, my French pronunciation is terrible, and the movie doesn't help out because it's silent. Mm -hmm. um, he is, I guess, the street washer of their area and also a neighbor of his, but he doesn't, he never deigns to recognize Chico because they're not quite of the same class. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Gobin is a street washer and Chico is a lowly sewer, not rat, yeah. that, that belongs to the rat, but sewer guy. Yeah, yeah. And, Monsieur Gibbon is a surface given. <laughs> Basically. And uh, there is, it's kind of funny. There, all the kind of classism that, you know, is troubling is really just kind of played for laughs in this mm -hmm. movie. Um, I mean, it's just, it doesn't take itself too seriously at this point, which I think is a good no, way to doesn't. ease us in and lull us into a false sense of security that this is just going to be about a bunch of comical poor scamps. 
yeah, actually, it, it does a pretty good job of of punching up. Yes, I'll say that. Yes, it definitely because does. the the heroes are all of the lower classes. I think, and kind of like the whole thread or one of the threads of the movie gets introduced in the sewer when basically uh, Chico tells the rat, he's like, no, I work down here, but I'm always looking up to the stars. And he says that that's important to do. You should always look up. Always look up. And so we get that introduction to those two characters, mostly Chico, but the, the, the rat comes back. The rat comes back. Yeah. Um, and then we switch over to our other main character, Diane, and her sister. Oh, my goodness. It's did did like, you find it relatable? Oh, don't start. <laughs> the constant abuse I suffer at the hands of my heritage sister is epic. But not as much yeah. bad as Diane's. Yeah, Diane's sister it takes it to the next level by just... Just having a whip on hand that she uses, which I don't know, were like whips just more common tools back then? I think it's just a little quirky character trait of hers. One thing that I'm sure the play fleshed out more, and I would have liked to have seen fleshed out more, is kind of the background of the sisters. Because Mm -hmm. I think that there is like a tragic backstory there, obviously. They are, when we first meet them, all we know is that they're miserably poor. Uh, The older sister, Nana, played really well by Gladys Brockwell. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. Has a crippling absent addiction. And stealing addiction, too. And stealing addiction, but... uh, (laughs) I guess they go, one services services the other. And basically, her whipping girl is Diane, who is just the uh, definition of a waif. Yes, I, and and a literal whipping girl and a little literal whipping girl she's she's just has like seemingly has no will of her own and is just very easily obviously under the abuse of her sister uh led to do things like beg for money pawn things uh she does have a bit of a moral backbone that she doesn't want to outright steal and it's just very touchy. We see her go out into the city to pawn like a wa- family watch. And uh, just the way she moves. I observed this last night. She, she's like this like kind of skittish, tentative, like stray cat. Yeah, that's I, right. Because she's so delicate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know if Janet Gaynor was like five feet tall. She's so tiny. Yeah. And I think we brought this up in in sunrise as well i think so and you know she's such a good actress though that this could be such like a cloying kind of insincere sort of role but she just sells it so well yeah she really does oh and it's not just a family heirloom watch it's a watch that they stole oh is it yeah because uh nana says like and don't you know don't go blubbering about how it's stolen (laughs) no and so like i guess that's the other thing, too. They don't really make clear who's doing the stealing. We kind of assume that it's Nana. And they also aren't 100% clear on if both of them have a drinking problem or if it's just Nana. Or at least I'm not clear on that because, all right, so the, the next step in the story is they. it turns out that they have a wealthy relative. And... They get visited by this priest who says, hey, your wealthy relative is coming back and they're going to come take you to live with them. Isn't that fine and grand? 
And so Nana gets them both dressed up and tells uh, Diane to to lie about how good they've been and how what what their life is like. And this is where you see the moral fiber of uh, Diane, but also it's a little bit questionable life choice. Yeah, because this person says like, "Well, have you have you been good?" even though you like live in this squalor and she says, no, 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 we haven't been good. And she, she can't, she can't keep up the pretense and deceive these people. And she can't deceive her uncle. And her uncle's a real jerk. Oh yeah. He's terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. So it tur- my, so my feeling about this all is what you could kind of glean from the setup is they must be orphans, Diane and Nana. And, I don't think the uncle was always rich because they say he's returned from the uh, from the uh, South Seas and he's rich. And so I'm wondering if, you know, they deposited the girls in Paris and went off to, you know, make their riches. And maybe he's just so full of it now that he's rich that he just. I can see that. Yeah, he he says like, well, well, if you haven't been good, then. You know, bye, bye and like throws a little money at them. Um, and you know, this, this drives old Nana a little bit ballistic. Yeah. Because why didn't Diane just lie? I mean, I hate to say it. I am a little bit on team Nana's side here. (laughs) Uh, not to the point of like what she does to Diane, but it's like, Diane, for your own sake, why, why? Uh, so that's that's frustrating, but obviously it's what the plot hinges on. Like if she'd said, yeah, sure, I'm fine, then we wouldn't get the rest of the yeah. movie. <laughs> then it's like, oh, movie's over, movie's fine. Movie's over, goodbye. Uh, some people were poor and then they weren't. And again, it's kind of like, you know, and if it had gone that way, would we have been able to see another side of Nana? Like is, you know, if she had been, because she's obviously the older sister, if she had been, you know, left alone in Paris in charge of her sister with no means to support herself, maybe she started out not quite as mean and crazy, but mm-hmm. living that life just hardened her. And so we but we don't really get that. She basically exists to be Diane's boogeyman. Yeah, and that she is because she chases Diane out of their abode and into the street whipping her again this woman carries like an actual whip an actual whip that she uses on her sister and i'm still confused as to i mean i guess i knew people in college who had whips and by knew them i meant i mean there is that one kid who practiced with his bull whip out on the on the dorm lawn he's a serial killer now for sure possibly but (laughs) yeah so i guess uh I guess Nana's one of those people. But anyway, so she's uh, basically trying to kill Diane on the street when uh, Chico gets involved and picks her up, picks up Nana. He pops out like Oscar the Grouch or something. From <laughs> yeah, the sewer. that's right. It's very Sesame Street-ish. Like. Uh, yeah, yeah. He pops out of he pops out of the sewer with um, with the manhole cover still on his head. No, not not quite. not right, not quite, but almost to that effect. And he picks up Nana and dangles her in the manhole, like 
it's a it's a very hey you big bully what are you doing hitting that, that little, little bully, bully sort of situation again it, like in the midst of like all this horrible stuff happening it does have a bit like chico's presence kind of brings a bit of a slapstick feel to it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well and that's one of the things that we learn about chico is that he he does have this kind of swagger about him yes but it's what's kind of refreshing about it is that it's very honest and therefore lovable. Yes. So he sees something that's wrong. And so he's not going to just be a wimp and just let it happen. He gets out of, gets out of his sewer (laughs) and doesn't just like break it up. He, he takes revenge on Diane's behalf. Yep. Almost. And uh, yeah, he, he, I can't remember. Does he chase off Nana or is he just drop her into the sewer? I, he like dangles her in the sewer and is like, are you going to like leave your sister alone and get out of here? And she says, yes, yes, yes. Cause he's, you know, dangling her over a sewer. Um, and I guess, yeah, then he just runs her off and uh, kind of, he basically in the beginning sort of just looks at Diane as just sort of this kind of, again, kind of like a stray cat, like, uh, Oh, great. Like he actually says, like one of his friends, the taxi cab driver, is like, Chico, you saved her life. He's like, yeah, it wasn't worth much. And so you're set up to kind of think like, oh, he's kind of an ass. And he is. But again, (laughs) and it's a large part thanks to Charles Farrell's performance. You do get that unlike a lot of these kind of portrayals with male characters, it is all bluster. Mm-hmm. And uh, behind all that is a very good character, you know, yeah. and that is seen in that same scene because, you know, he's sitting with his friends eating and Diane is just kind of slumped. Well, at first she's unconscious. She's kind of stunned on the pavement. He keeps looking back at her like kind of begrudgingly like. Well, get up. And so, he, you know, he kind of wakes her up, props her against a wheel and even offers her some food, all while kind of insulting her at the same time. Like, you got to fight. Why are you so weak? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he acts like he doesn't care, but he does. Yeah, he is exactly the hot solo character this movie needs. <laughs> uh, yeah, in a lot of ways at this point, Diane is kind of his antithesis mm-hmm. in that she she is kind of spineless and broken. Yeah. And what's nice is that contrasts with uh with chico's bluster and just overwhelming confidence that one day he'll make it and become a street washer uh which does happen actually it happens uh just as they're sitting there and discussing the existence of god which makes me think that your average parisian super worker is probably a lot deeper than uh <laughs> than you might guess but uh, Chico explains that he's an atheist because he spent five francs and prayed for a street washer job and didn't get it. And now God owes him money. Yeah, now God owes him money. Then he spent another five francs and and prayed for a wife and he hasn't gotten that either. Yeah, he's like, I wanted a blonde, beautiful wife and now I get stuck with this. And like, you know, gestures towards poor weakling Diane. who's yeah. like barely conscious. Oh, poor Diane. Poor Diane. Uh, so the... The local priest who just happens to lurk around hears this. He's one of those Romeo and Juliet type of priests who like always just kind of appears appears to like help out the young lovers. 
Um, and is, you know, kind of, I guess, what you'd call the hokiest part of the movie. Because, I mean... Yeah, he is. And he's also kind to Chico, despite Chico saying, like, I'm an atheist. And, and well, and that's the thing. He always says he's an atheist and then talks about how God owes him money. Which which doesn't mean you don't believe in God. You just think that God exists and that he owes you money. And that he owes you money. What, you know, what sect is that? Like, <laughs> But... Uh, yeah, this magical uh, plot-turning priest shows up with like an like you don't believe in God, huh? Well, here's an assignment as a street washer, which apparently a priest can just hand out. Yeah, it's like the I guess the priests in Paris have power over public works, and he just hands him a card. I guess that says like, "Hey, you're, I'm a street washer. Teach me how to street wash, Gibon." So, so that happens, and also. Now, so he's got he's got that five francs uh, taken care of. So God is halfway there. Halfway there. Uh, uh, Diane tries to kill herself. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, Diane tries to kill herself. Of course, this is kind of the opposite of the thing that Chico would do, because Chico, Chico may not believe in God, but he definitely believes in Chico. He definitely believes in Chico, as he tells Diane when he takes away the knife. And I just love it. He's like, with my knife, too. How about that? <laughs> and it's just like, uh, he says, one of his catchphrases, he, first of all, he says, uh, you know, don't look down, always look up. And that, you know, look at me. I'm a very remarkable fellow. And that's just kind of becomes his, his catchphrase. He says, I'm yeah. never afraid. I'm a very remarkable fellow. Yeah, which I think is... It it's uplifting when he says it, and it also I think what's cool about him is that all this bluster that he has is he thinks he's great and he wants you to think that you're great as well. Yeah. He's a very positive person. You, you can tell why he has all these friends in Paris. Yeah. He has so he has the five francs covered with God. But then there's other five francs about the whole wife thing. And Oh, yeah, the connections. I didn't even realize. Yeah. And we see uh, Nana reappear, this time being escorted around by a police officer. I'm guessing she painted the town red during this whole interlude and got <laughs> pretty blotto and pretty punchy. <laughs> during this 15 minutes. This 15 minutes. <laughs> Nana works hard, plays hard, and gets carted away hard. Yeah, so she points out. Uh, Diane and says like that's my sister she's no better than me you should arrest her too which is uh, not evidence that I would arrest another person for if I <laughs> if I were if I were a law officer and stopping say a break-in or something like that and the person said like well I also have this sibling you should also arrest them uh, but apparently in pre-World War One France that's that's all you needed to do how and, different is it really from today? Oh, I guess that's States? the point. And I guess, you know, Chico from the start just feels sort of tied to Diane. So what does the big lug do? He says, you can't arrest her. She's my wife. And apparently wives can't get arrested wives in can't Paris. can't get arrested in Paris. So it's like, whatever. Obviously, the cop doesn't give a crap. Carts uh, away Nana. And uh, but does, you know, say, I will be back to check on uh on this so you better be married to her or you're both in trouble and so chico's like oh why did i do that oh right after i got my job as street washer yeah he's afraid he's gonna lose his job as street washer because he he lied the, to the police to prevent this 
perfectly innocent person. <laughs> but Diane says, well, what if you let me stay at your place until the police officer comes and checks, then, you know, you won't get into trouble and and also she'll have a place to stay. And to which Chico brightens up and says, you have such a great head. It's just the most romantic line in cinematic history. Yeah. Obviously meaning mind, but I also like it. The idea is just like, you have a great head. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I mean, it's an, and it's an interesting contradiction in Diane's character because, you know, she, why she ended up in this position was because she refused to lie earlier mm-hmm. about being good. But I think it's, you know, pretty clear that even even from this point, she cares a lot more about Chico than she does about Nana. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. Um, I thought it was because she's letting Chico lie for her. But I think I like your idea a lot better. I mean, and it shows that she, you know, she does have this resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like the most complicated scheme or whatever, but. You know, it is one of those things that she is a very weak, frail person physically mm-hmm. and doesn't have a lot of fight in her at this point. But she does have a good head, a great head even. Yeah. And she it's like her first step into having agency over her own life. Too. Exactly. Yeah. Even though it's like, hey, let me like let me attach my cart to your horse. Mm hmm. And just hang out with you for a while until this all blows over. It's still she you and you can see her. It's so well acted with by Janet Gaynor. She struggles to even pitch this idea. You see her just like working herself to say she's through the tears and just feeling bad and everything like that. It's like, hey, if you let me stay with you, maybe you can get out of this. And that's like a big step for her that she's actually you know, proposing something. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just getting whipped and, and basically tortured into things. Right. And, uh, I think, you know, part of it is probably inspiration from, uh, from Chico, but I think most of it is just within her. I think just seeing the kind of man Chico is makes her realize that like, Oh, maybe I can take a little control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so yeah, this person is good, and yeah, they're not all jerks like my sister and my uncle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, so Chico's very excited uh, that she has such a great head. He's going to save his job as a street washer. Uh, does he first run into Monsieur Gibbon? It's like kind of before this, and Gibbon right. once he realizes that he's not joking and that Chico really is going to be his like apprentice. Uh, it's like, I can recognize you as a neighbor now. Um, and again, it's it's kind of a weird classism played for laughs, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, they become fast friends. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, well, you're not working in the sewer. Now you're a person. Now you're a person. <laughs> Congratulations. Poor the rat. He's still down there. I know. I In my head, the rat still gets to hang out with them and, and they share, they still share meals with each other. And... Oh, I almost forgot about it. After they've decided, okay, we're going to pretend to be married uh, for this police officer and everything like that. Chico, 
ostensibly to celebrate his new job, takes uh, takes Diane on a car ride in his friend's taxi. Eloise. Yeah, the taxi is named Eloise. It's a piece of junk. It's a piece of junk, but gosh darn it, it's their piece of junk to hire. Yep. And they go on a little a little trip around the city and which is all soundstage, I'm pretty sure. But it's 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 mm-hmm. a very like nicely done soundstage, I feel mm-hmm. like. That it's not trying too hard to look hyper realistic. So it's got a little bit of a stylized edge, which I like. Right. Eloise crashes at some point and they have to kind of like move it out manually because this is the age of very old cars that are Kind of like carts with an engine. Yep. Uh, but yeah, they they stop outside Chico's uh, apartment, his flats. His flats. And we get probably the most memorable sequence, really, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is where we get the title, Seventh Heaven, is just this ascent of countless stories. Well, not countless. Seven. Seven of them. Seven of them. Good point. <laughs> and I guess how, you know, how they achieved it was they created like kind of an elevator to be sort of parallel to these sto- these stories and would like have actors come in and out of the stories to like kind of emphasize this is a place where people, people live. Would, yeah, it was excellent. Like a, sing- a single sh- long shot, mm-hmm. uh, long in time duration. And the, as the elevator goes up, they did a good job of making this place feel lived in. Like you said, mm-hmm. people going back and forth. And it it was like having a montage without cutting, which I thought was pretty cool. Like yeah. the, the cuts were the floors that you were passing. And eventually, as you ascend and ascend and ascend and ascend, you get to the very top of the building, the seventh floor, in which Chico has like a pretty rad penthouse situation going yeah on. and you don't expect that because you figure oh boy the further up we get we figure oh he probably just to live you know in this high up he probably lives in just like this little hole this this uh sewer this guy has worked in a sewer all this time i mean he's probably the worst of the worst situations and then bam i think you know the idea is no one really wants to live all you know the very top of this of this flat so one of the perks is you get a lot of space. Yeah, he he does have a lot of space. And also it's it's that classic like movie and TV show thing where like the middle class family has yeah. the world's la- largest stage for a home. Yeah. But uh it's pretty cool and it's it's cool and fun that Chico is excited to show off his place to this stranger. And you kind of get the idea that, yeah, he's probably a little bit charmed. We were thinking that he's probably falling a little bit for, for Diane, even at this point, but I can also totally see him bringing up the rat and just like showing off like, Hey, isn't this cool? I get to live at the top. And he opens his window and shows like, see, you can see the stars, even though I work in the sewer. I sleep right under the stars in this very tall building in in the least desirable uh, floor. And Diane agrees, it's heaven, she says. Oh, it's so sweet. Yeah, and it gets very domestic from here on out to a certain point. 
Mm-hmm. And it's it's just kind of just, it's very joyful. Again, it comes down to Feral and Gaynor. You know, from this movie, they made like 11 more movies. They were known as America's Sweetheart. They were the 1920s Gear and Roberts. They, they're adorable together. Yeah. And for being such opposites, they really complement each other. And it's a little back and forth of like, of really probably what's considered tropes now of like, oh, how are we going to do the sleeping situation? Is he going to be a gentleman? He is. And yeah. uh, lets her take the bed while he takes the. Uh, balcony. The balcony. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and there's also the key moment where he decides this is OK. So this strikes me as something that wouldn't happen today because it sounds incredibly dangerous. But I guess these various buildings had boards for people to walk across from one to the other at the very top in these like very high story buildings. And at one point, Chico just walks across this board from his window to another building. And uh, Diane reacts much like I would. Yeah, I'm a coward. Me too. And she refuses to get onto this board that's precariously high above the street. And Chico just kind of says like, no, 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 don't look down. Always look up. Always be looking up. And, you know, just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of anything. And it's like, I'm not afraid. I'm a remarkable fellow. Very. Remarkable. I'm never afraid. And that comes back later. It does. And then he steals her a nightgown. He does. He just like disappears, goes back with a nightgown. Like, yeah, I mean, it's clean. And yeah. <laughs> he just he comes back with it. a nightgown and clothes pins in his mouth. Yeah. That he just kind of tosses aside. It's a nice little touch. Yeah. This movie definitely has some pretty great comedic moments that are touching as well. It's uh, almost a rom-com. It really is. At this point, it is set up as a total rom-com. So we get like a few domestic seeds of, because, uh, you know, he's very, you know, brusque throughout, like, no, don't let this get to your head. You know, don't try to take advantage of me. You know, this is just temporary. Yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. Acts like he doesn't care, but he does. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, she does the little womanly stuff of coffee and yeah. breakfast. Yeah, eventually she's you know, stitching up his shirts and things like that. Um, not the most progressive movie, maybe, but also I kind of feel like she was doing that on her terms. Yeah. In a sense. I mean, she. Because he kept keeps telling her to like, you know, don't get too comfortable. And she kind of thanks him by, you know, doing some chores. And, and you know, I mean, maybe. Deep down, there's a little sneaky part of her that, you know, obviously he she's got it pretty bad for Chico. And I think she's like, well, if I do some stuff around here, maybe he'll start to like me, too. So they're a little bit maybe if he'll let me stay around because, I mean, she is homeless at this point. Yeah. That's a point. So, I mean, I wouldn't blame her for wanting to like this is a pretty great apartment. This is a hot guy who's nice to her. Like. Yeah. <gasps> Yeah, so she she has a she has a scheme. <laughs> she does, yeah. and so while uh, Chico, in another comical scene, kind of learns the ropes of being a street washer, which includes you know spray accidentally spraying down uh, Goban, who once again lives right across from him. So yeah, that that's helpful. He, he sprays him in the butt. Sprays him in the butt, which we could all all appreciate. Yeah, the fine art. Of it's that. 
it's also the height of like Chaplin's era and everything like that. There's people back then just like really found anything to do with butts hilarious. I mean, are they wrong? Are they? They have this whole new medium to celebrate. I have someone to introduce you to named Tina Belcher. (laughs) Yes. Oh, she needs to see this movie. Butts her no laughing matter. Oh my gosh, just throw a few zombies in this and she would be all over it. Oh, absolutely she would be. So yeah, so there's some slapsticks and spraying water going on and poor uh, Gabon gets gets completely drenched. But uh, yeah, Chico learns how to spray a hose and he's very happy doing it. And it's just a very nice, you could see it in him that he's like, I've got the job I want. I've got this cute girl uh, hanging around. Like, he doesn't really consciously realize it, but, you know, this is making his life fuller. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, an investigator comes, and it's very easy to, like, say, yeah, this is my wife. This is the setup. Yeah. Bada beating, bada boom. And so he's like, yeah. okay, fine, and leaves. The inspector is very... Uh... Very thorough. That oh, is just kind of like he he steps in, so like, hey, are you guys married? Yeah, cool. All right, bye. Uh, I don't know why I was called out here. I don't know why I walked all this these freaking <laughs> stories. Like that is a wanted realistic thing. How are people just traipsing up here and not acting winded as heck? Is everyone mm. just more fit than I am? Like my God. I guess if they're used to it. I guess, but why would the inspector? Anyways, <laughs> but then I think Diane does lay it on a bit thick. I mean, I don't think she consciously realizes it either, but she gets a Wobegon look, gets her little sad hat, her little sad shawl, walks towards the door, all big puppy dog eyes, like, I guess I'll get going. And Chico's like, yeah, stick around. Yeah, he says, you don't get in the way. This is how he phrases it, which I kind of love. I do. I mean, again, it's like something that gets overplayed and is done very badly in other things of the guy treating the girl rough or whatever. But it's done so perfectly here because, you know, he's a good guy. Yeah, exactly. And what's kind of interesting is he is a very he presents himself as a very masculine character. I think that's very key to him. But it's not in a weird toxic way no because it's it's not any masculine ideal really that he's going for it's just that he really likes himself yeah and i mean that's not a bad thing to like oneself you know and believe in oneself and he encourages diane to do the same so even though he's uh, you know he talks about how i'm brave i'm awesome everything is great about me he also encourages Diane to take on these kind of attributes herself. And even though he thinks of himself very highly and he's always brave, he's not afraid of anything. He also tells her like, yeah, don't be afraid of anything. He tell he encourages other people to be, you know, brave and strong themselves, which I thought was just kind of this interesting take. Yeah, he didn't want her to, like, remain mm-hmm. helpless and uh, subservient or anything like that. Yeah, it was like if Gaston also wanted Belle to be like him in in terms of swagger. And if he, like, but if he also didn't try to, like, mold her into something she wasn't, like, at the same time, 
Yeah. Like, yeah, just yeah, exactly. Like, if he's like, oh, cool. You like books? That's great. Chin up. Kind of. Kind of thing. Yeah. Like a good hearted guest on, basically. And yeah. France. I guess they just make him like that. <laughs> so everything remains hunky dory. They fall in love. They get married. The end. Nothing sad or conflicted happens no. at all. No, nothing ever happens. Nothing bad happens in the early 20th century in France. Not at all. Except for one thing. Two things, but uh, but the first thing <laughs> but the first thing happens uh just as they have a very touching proposal or touching or ridiculous proposal. He brings her a wedding dress. Yeah. It's she like could, she could just like rolls up with a whole wedding dress ready to go. And she's like and she's a little like, what what? And he's like, Well, don't you wanna? She's like, Don't you love me? Yeah. And then we get to the most romantic line because he he's like, she's like, couldn't you just say it once? And he all like does like oh, so awkward. It's sappy. And so then he says, Chico, Diane, heaven. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty sappy, but it's also great. It's also great. He's he's such a he he's such a little it. kid about it. Yeah. And it's and, enough for her. Yeah, I think that's the thing. He's like he's such a he's such a braggart and and has so much swagger, but he's also cute. Yeah, he's one of those type of guys who doesn't want to go see a rom com because he knows deep down that he will cry. <laughs> and uh, so, like, this, no, that's stupid. I'm not going to go to that. Yeah. And yeah. oh, that's a very good way of putting it. I like that. And I think, you know, Diane senses that. So she's thrilled. She puts on the dress. She goes over to see Gobon's bedridden wife. And I think, you know, we're supposed to because she's pregnant. They could not really oh. show that back then. And um, during this little interlude, yeah, something bad kind of happens. The. uh the Germans invade. The Germans invade. World War One, everybody. This nice little domestic rom-com. Like, there's the call to war literally just as they've decided they're going to get married. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, yes, Chico, Diane, heaven. And God goes, Ding dong, Wah. ding dong, ding dong. Come on, everyone. Let's go to war. And so Gobon comes in. It's like, I didn't want to say so in front of them, but you and I, we leave within the hour. So quite literally, their world is just turned upside down, like mm-hmm. in a matter of seconds. And we get what I thought was probably one of the most powerful uh, scenes in the movie, which is, you know, Chico realizes that he's going to war and he tells Diane. And he cries. And he admits, I'm afraid. Yeah, which is not a line that you expect from this character at all. It's, which made him feel very real. He has a lot of gusto and and bravado and everything like that. But he's also, he has true bravery in that he is not afraid to admit that he's afraid. Yeah. And we also just get a big character reversal in Diane. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, she's like, uh, just always look up. She kind of just says the same thing that he said to bolster her. She says, uh, you know, 
look at me. I'm a very remarkable fellow too, which I thought was just the cutest. Yeah, they're they're so cute. They really are. It's ridiculous. This couple guys. It's and they have such they have such good chemistry they on really screen do. too. I mean, it's, I don't blame everybody for like sending them like anniversary presents, which apparently they did. And Charles Phil was like, We're not married. We don't have an anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> because they do. They're just they're very, very cute together. And uh this the clock strikes eleven. And uh, he says, Always know that at eleven I'm gonna be with you. Yeah. It's it's really touching, and they they can't get to uh, to a justice of the peace or yeah, a priest. The darn priest who's always around when you don't particularly want him there. <laughs> He's not there then, so they sort of. But he when he gave Chico the job, he also gave him some religious medals as Chico dismissed them, but. You know, having found those, he's like, let's let's marry by these and kind of swap sort of as like a ring. uh, These medals that they wear around their necks. Yeah. And then it's to war. That's to war. Uh, Yeah. And so and it's not just to war. It's the. It's the moment in World War One where the Germans are literally just like closing in on Paris. And so all of the Paris taxi drivers, including Chico's friend, who is kind of a comic relief character in all of this. Yeah. Most uh, characters who aren't Chico and Diane are kind of comic relief. Mm-hmm. Not all as we'll find out, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, Eloise, the car is pressed into service and you see them rush off to war with all of these cars and that's uh that's how uh it's pronounced goban probably G- let's G- just call him goblin that's how goblin and chico uh end up going to war is in, as part of that very last ditch effort that was uh successful in protecting paris and then we get the war we get the war and I guess I, yeah. on the home front, I guess they, they kind of covered the home front a lot, too. It's actually, I think, more about Diane than it is about uh, Chico and his exploits. Yeah, what I appreciate about this movie versus how Wings did it is that, you know, there are like shots of battlefields and shots of like peasants trying to defend themselves. But it's not dwelled on to like the same extent all the extended flying sequences and wings were it's mm-hmm. it's still very much story driven which i appreciated right poor eloise doesn't make it the no car. she's blown to bits she's... i feel okay spoiling that because you all need to get prepared for that because that's yeah pretty sad you have to check on the website does the car die does the car die <laughs> <laughs> oh there are nerds like Cass who would probably really appreciate that uh, <laughs> um yeah. Oh, what was the point I wanted to make? Uh, but focusing on domestic life, like how Diane is taking yeah. care of her neighbor, who we assume is pregnant and has it, a baby because you see Diane yeah. by a cradle, although not much is made of the baby. Right. And Diane kind of like being strong now, like Chico has imparted part of his bravado to her. And you also kind of get the sense that 
she is, even though they're not next to each other, she's being brave for him as well. And she's going out. She has a job in a munitions factory. She's getting stuff done. She is on top of her life. He's like, you compare that to the very beginning of the film where she's getting pushed around and oh. has no backbone and of her own. We forgot to mention, I think one of the things that finally convinces her that she's strong is right after Chica leaves, after he says to her, let, you know, let me just remember you as you are right now. Have my eyes full of you. And she's, you know, stunned and heartbroken. Her husband has left. Who comes in but Nana? Yeah. Old Nana Banana. It's like, I was waiting in the hall <laughs> like a gremlin. And um, for a long time, for weeks, I for, assume. I don't know. But she she saunters in. And, you know, Diane at first does cower. She's very afraid. And, you know, Nana kind of makes fun of her, like flips her dress and like all, all of that. But then when she, you know, pulls off the chain that Diane wears around her neck. The uh, the uh, religious necklace that they had just exchanged in honor of their marriage. Honor of their marriage. Diane frickin' loses it. <laughs> she hulks out. She hulks out. She It's such a triumphant character moment. And, I mean, it's strange to say with a scene where a woman whips another woman. But, yeah, she gets the whip away from Nana and drives her out after getting her chain back. And I think that is kind of just a catharsis for her mm-hmm. of, like, I can do this. I can handle myself. I, yeah. can, I don't have to cower. And I don't have to rely solely on Chico. Yeah, uh, I can do this. And I think that just she really becomes the most hopeful character uh, from then on out. Yeah, you're really cheering for her as much as you can cheer like one person whipping another, another person. It's like, whatever. Let us have this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it's it's so well acted. The moment where, she, you know, Anna rips that chain off. You can tell there is just the. There, there is blood in that that tiny woman's eyes. Yes, like no, and I'm sure you could go blah blah blah. So it's she's only motivated by love for her man. Blah blah blah. But I'm like, it's not just like shameful to be inspired by the person you love, regardless of gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, I mean, I think that's the sign of a healthy relationship that you both make each other better people. Because I mean, yeah. I think she brings a little, you know sensitivity to him that he didn't yeah. have before and again that's very gendered he gives her strength she gives him sensitivity but you know for 1927 they're still equals you know which i yeah, appreciate i i do get the sense because he never like yeah i i can't i can't think of a time when he ever like pushes her around or no, does anything no. like that it's always kind of like be more like me be be brave, be strong. And he loves her for, for trying. And he also doesn't like, it's not like he, she has to mold herself like that for him to like her. Yeah. It's kind of like the liking her comes first. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why he doesn't want her to feel afraid. And also why he wants her to feel empowered as well. And anyways, it's, um, it's really well done. It's a really good movie. It's a really <laughs> good movie. Uh, let's see. So I guess we, we can cover the home front first, and then we can cover uh, Chico's exploits in World War One. Um, on the home front, working in a munitions factory, Diane is 
kind of pestered by a Colonel Brissac. Yes, and he is first introduced because he kind of, I guess, ex- escorts her aunt and uncle to where they, they're living. And I don't know if he's like a family friend. Again, that yeah. is one thing I wish they had fleshed out a little more is Diane's background. Uh, but he's, I I think, new kind of seeing her now as a stronger woman than she had been in the past. Mm-hmm. He becomes besotted by her. Yeah. And is kind of makes a pest of himself, too. Yeah. He kind of. And this is what I was talking about. This is an instance of the movie punching up because mm-hmm. the colonel dressed in this pristine uniform and he's just hanging out at this munitions factory trying to get this Good other man's guy. Yeah. yeah trying to pick up another man's wife um while you have, you have that contrasted with all the boys at the front uh-huh had like you know caked in mud and and grit and everything like that and here's this wealthy colonel doing nothing which yep. kind of like is a summary of World War One, if ever I heard of one. And they make little digs to that. Um, mm-hmm. I know you know don't want to jump right into the World War One, but let's go go into it. Yeah, because Chico and his friends, Goban and the Rat, they're you know deep in trench warfare, and and yeah, I mean it's pretty clear that the higher ups are just totally disconnected. Mm-hmm. And that their underlings just have no respect or reverence for them. Right. You know, they're defending their women. They're defending their country. They don't <laughs> care about the bozos in charge. So they like steal their food, replace it with wood. And oh, yeah. Is it the rat who steals the chicken? Yeah, steals the chicken, replaces it with a with a piece of wood. And it's just it's a great little touch. And, you know, he shares it with his friends and everything. And it's yeah. just like. And meanwhile, the cook. Poor, well, yeah, I guess the poor I f- cook who brings it in is going to get reamed over the coals. So, <laughs> oh, oh, the rat. Oh, the but rat. When will the rat learn? Oh, probably never. Yeah. So when we see when we see Diane at the munitions factory, she's working along there. And uh, Colonel Brissac is kind of, you know, saying like, you know, he's gone and I'm right here and blah, blah, blah. And she says, no, 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 no. He he's fighting for France out in the front. I'm fighting for France in this munitions factory. And then at one point the clock strikes 11 and she kind of just stops working and looks up uh, heaven's word and holds her necklace her religious necklace. And you see the same thing happening with Chico and they kind of have this moment, uh, you know, across many, many miles of Chico, Diane, heaven. Yeah, and it's it's sweet. <laughs> it's so sweet. And again, in the hands of less well-suited actors, it just could have been so insincere and hokey. Yeah, you really you really buy it and also what I think is kind of what makes it work also is that Chico kind of like goes away from his friends to do it too, so he's like maybe slightly embarrassed. I think it's more the privacy, just wanting a private yeah. moment with Diane. But it's it's cool. I really liked it. It's it's maybe a little bit hokey, but I'm not ashamed. No, and I think that's the great thing about this movie is that 
these tropes are popular and overdone in movies because when they are done well and with sincerity, they work and they're effective. And, you know, romance is very hard to do, like, accurately in movies because it is two people making, like, doing make-believe. And it's hard to really convey genuine love there. But they manage it here. They manage it perfectly. Mm -hmm. So World War I sucks. Yeah, in in one of the more grim jokes, uh, Goblin and Chico are put in charge of, um, well, flamethrower duty. Yeah, it's like a, a dark little <coughs> twist on what they'd been doing with the hoses and street washing. And they point that out. It's like, we know how to work the hose. It's like, ha, 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 ha. Oh, ha. boy. Oh, goodness. So they are doing one of their classic World War One. Let's loudly blow a whistle and blow a bugle and slowly walk towards the enemy in these trenches. Nothing could go wrong. Yeah. And predictably, I believe uh, you see Goban fall. And um, initially, I think he's. I thought he was dead, but spoiler alert, he's fine. Well, he's not fine, but, um, and Chico also like gets lost in no man's land and everything like that. And the rat is taking care of him. And at one point they're out of water. So the rat like scurries off and finds like some sort of random wall with a barrel in it. And, you know, scurries back, makes a little And I just really appreciate, noises. though, how, like, at this point, you know, the rat has been mostly play, played for laughs, and he still is, mm-hmm. but it's it's a good message that these people that we, you know, denigrate, put in the sewers, they know how to survive and mm-hmm. will take care of their own. And Oh, yeah, like, I the mean, rat's a hero. Like, Colonel Brzezak, would he be able to be do all this like would he would like the rich uncle uh have like the guts to do what yeah. the rat what chico what all these like very very poor degraded people who ended up saving the country do you know yeah yeah it's a good point it's a good point um eventually um they have to move out of no man's land because obviously it's dangerous they make their way back to the lines. And I think at the very last moment you hear, a, or you don't hear, you see a big boom. I think we might lose the rat. And Chico we- asks the priest who also is, is there. Yeah, the same priest. He's kind of, you know, again, I think he's the one element of the movie that's a little much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, he doesn't quite work. Anyways, so he remains a atheist who believes that God owes him money throughout the movie. Like you never get there's no hokey like ah and now and now I know that God is real. Well, kind of we do. Is there? Yeah. Am I misremembering it? A little bit, but I am hesitant just because this movie moved me so much that I don't want to deprive people listening the opportunity to like to feel the way I did the first movie. So I kind of want to like maybe move away from like 
the minute stuff of what happens and maybe just talk more about the effectiveness uh, of the movie if that's okay with you oh yeah that's cool that's cool um because yeah the the ending is very moving and definitely we're gonna be jerks we've told you the entire movie for all these movies except for this very very last bit and of that's because it's our favorite yeah, I do think it is our favorite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's my favorite, definitely. And I've just decided to lump you in with that. Sorry. It's uh, it's very moving. And yeah, and Chico says, tell Diane that I, that I died looking up. Oh, God. Looking at the stars. And um, there's an epilogue after that. But yeah, this is... It's profoundly moving. It's profoundly moving. This this movie really takes your your heart and your guts and and shakes them around a little bit. And there may be things again that on the surface you're like, wait a minute, was it fair that the movie did this, this, and that? But again, I think you can get away with so much if you do it sincere with sincerity, like genuine sincerity. Mm -hmm. And if you have a cast that is the same. Mm-hmm. That has that same kind of motivation. I'm trying to think of the trivia that I've read about it. Um, it like it was enormously popular. It inspired a song about Diane that we kind of hear over the track. Oh, really? The movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know the woman who sings in the background sometimes. Oh, okay. And um, it was remade in 1937 with like Jimmy Stewart and uh, Simone Simone. Two actors I like very, very much, but it was not a hit. And I can imagine how <laughs> it would have just not. I just, hold, I can't. Now hold on a second. Seriously. And I can't see anybody but Charles Farrell and Janet Gaynor. I mean, they are Chico and, Dan, and <laughs> Diane. And it's just, you know, and Diane, you know, in the beginning, she doesn't say much. She just cringes. But again, it's thanks to Gaynor that we feel like we know her and we root for her from the start. Same with with Chico. Same with Chico. Want to jump into story? About to say, like, speaking of the actors. Yeah. Let's talk about and rate acting. 15 out of 10. 15 out of 10. Hmm. So I'm guessing you're giving it a 10. I'm going to give it a 10. I mean, even like this, the smaller side characters like, uh. Like Nana, Gladys Brockwell, I, I looked her up especially just because she inspires such terror. And yet I could believe that maybe once upon a time she had better dreams for her life. Yeah. Uh, I looked her up and unfortunately, just like Louis Volheim, uh, she died kind of young. Oh, no. I just like about two years after this, she died. Oh, in a, no. She died in a car accident. Um Again, who knows what kind of career maybe she could have had in sound. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think she is definitely effective. She's very effective. And I think, you know, even Goban and, of course, Georgie Stone as the rat. They all just, you know, they're very they just strike this fine balance between like the kind of cartoonish slapsticky stuff. And being to these kind of archetypes of like Janet Gaynor, the waif, the rat, all of this, but with like really kind of grounding it though, because they really yeah. believe in their, their characters. Again, it all comes down to the sincerity of it. Yeah, it's very sincere. With with the maybe the priest is not as strong no, as the rest of them. No, I feel like 
he was wedged in because there had to be some kind of sanctimonious let's believe in God. Which, okay, <laughs> fine, whatever. <laughs> um, it's like, I'd rather just believe in Chico and Diane. Can you just lay off for a little bit? But whatever. Um, I'm not going to take a point off for that. No. I'm going to give it a 10 as well. Okay. Okay, so... I mean, even if it were just Feral and Gaynor and everyone else sucked, I'd probably give it a 10 just for Gaynor <laughs> and Feral. They carry the movie. They do. I mean, they do. Even with the good actors in it, they do. Right. I mean, the fact that they had a good actor in The Rat... Yeah, is... it just speaks to the quality of, yeah. of the casting. Uh, So the writing, how, how good of a story is this? I'm going to give it a 10. I am. I'm going to give it a 10. Um... I think like the racket, unlike the racket, actually, because I think the racket would have been better had it been filmed with sound. Whereas even though there probably are technically too many title cards, I think, you know, that's one thing Buster Keaton said is you shouldn't have too many title cards uh, in the movie. The action should speak for itself. So I'm sure he wouldn't approve of how many title cards there were in this because there were a lot. I think it worked well. And I don't, I mean, the movie's so perfect as it was. It doesn't need sound, I think. Yeah. I mean, the title cards are, they're easy to read. They're very, like, just true to each character. And um, so, yeah, I would give it a 10. And, I mean, again, if it hadn't been for the cast and the way it was shot, a lot of it could have been really sappy. But because of the cast, it works. So, yeah, 10 for me. Yeah, the story is, it's just cute and the little lines and everything like that little work. touches the throwing away the hair the uh, clothes pins after he <laughs> just nonchalantly steals a gown just stuff like that and and it just works yeah it's really good cinematography yeah i'm gonna go pretty high up there i'll you know with the elevator shot and everything yeah you know yeah. i i'll it is a little bit stagey. It is because, a bit stagey. because it is a stage play. Yeah, I mean that's really more of a setting thing than a cinematography. I'll give yeah. it. A, I'll give it a nine. Nine. I'm gonna give it an eight. Actually, yeah, change mine to eight. I want to do eight. All right. Just um, not that anything was bad. It's just that nothing was terribly exceptional, except for maybe that that one shot that was pretty cool. Again, I'm comparing it to to the racket in that. You know, they work well within the confines of this play, but it is still kind of like a lot of ways a filmed play. Not right. again, not, but it's not a complaint. And they do find ways to be innovative with it, like the racket with the shot with the, the hats dissolving to reveal the guns. Right, right. Um, the, the shot of going up the seven stories was was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it was a nice touch. And overall, how do these three things work together? I'm going to go ahead and say... Pretty darn well. I'm going to say Chico, Diane, heaven. So heaven. It's heaven, man. You're going to go all the way up to an 11? I'm going to go all the way up to an 11. All right. Uh, hmm. Do I want... See, that's the thing about the cinematography is like, I'm not thinking of any particular way in which it would have been better or if a mistake, the... Like you said, this the staticness of a lot of the shots was more just the material that they had to work with. I mean, I I honestly don't think it was that static. You also got the shots of like Chico and Diane walking across the beams. 
That's a point too. And yeah. the shot of the stars. So I think they. I mean, I think it was pretty well done for for a filmed play, especially compared to something like The Racket. That was just a little less innovative. I think, yeah, overall. I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm going to give it a ten as well. Point on, on overall. All right. Bonus rounds. <laughs> All right. Uh, so now we're going to give bonus points. One through five, right? One through five. Okay. This Indeed. time I'm going to remember that and not give everything like uh, tens. Uh, remember, it's it's a bonus, not necessarily a rating. Okay. Okay. Do, do they deserve these extra credit points? Oh, boy. Let me think. Yes! <laughs> so costumes and sets. I, again, I like the kind of stylized feel of the sets. Um yeah, I thought the sets were good. I mean, nothing like outstanding. The costumes weren't outstanding. I mean, her dress is kind of cute, the wedding dress. But mm-hmm. I have to say, I think they did better than, say, wings, frankly, at capturing the costumes of, like, World War I. Um, and again, this is very recent history for right, them. You right. know, I mean... <laughs> You, I, you just go find a veteran and say like, hey, can I borrow your uniform? Yeah, exactly. So actually, yeah, I will give them a... a I'll give them a four. I'll be a four. Yeah. I remember watching uh, mm. Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, which was in the 60s and had a flashback sequence to the 20s. And the costumes, they just looked like people from the 60s. <laughs> I mean, it was like no effort was made. So uh, one of my teachers once told me, it's like, yeah, the, the thing is, like, regardless of, you know, when a movie is supposed to take place, you can always tell when it's really taking being shot by mm-hmm. people's hair. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, and it just, it, it's still to this day and it happens a lot with, with the actresses, like no matter what era, they still have to have like a modern made up face to look, you know, optimally beautiful. And it's just, Oh like, yeah. So I was like, guys, come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, Barry Lyndon is a good example of in the seventies. Have you ever seen Barry Lyndon? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's a Kubrick film that, I like, not a lot of people like it, uh, but it was very well known for having like natural lighting and all the actors were just done up very, because it takes place in the 18th century and uh, it's real good. We should watch it. Yeah. We don't have enough movies. We don't have enough movies to watch. So let's scrap them all and just watch Barry Linton. So boldness. I'm... I'm going to go ahead and say that it does take some bold steps. It does. And again, some people, modern audiences might get mad at some of the stuff. like, oh, come on, kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Like, really? That just happened to happen? And again, that's very vague, but I don't want to get into what that is. But again, for me, that's bold that they did it. And it's bold to me that I think they pulled it off. Yeah. So five. Five? Yeah. I think I think there's a lot of there's other boldness to it as well in that it it I know it it's kind of like everyone's comfortable doing it now but maybe it wasn't so comfortable back then to really really hammer on here's this colonel doing nothing nothing, nothing yeah, but uh, harassing this girl <laughs> like, and, and he's not even portrayed as that bad of a guy he's just he takes advantage of the so of the social class he was born into. 
yeah, yeah. And I think that makes him even like it makes him even worse. He's not this cartoonish villain. No, he's realistic. And that's, you know. Yeah, he's kind of grim and also. But I mean, at the same time, a little bit ghoulish is like your husband's dead, you know, maybe she just hang out with me. Yeah. And uh, it's like, leave her alone, you ghoul. I know. But it's yeah, it's not like hammered down. You know, he's not like some mustache twirling villain or anything. No, his mustache was too thin. That was to too thin. I mean, he and he was a good looking guy. And I think it's implied that, you know, the other women around uh, Diane are like, well, if you want to spend time with me, that's cool. But <laughs> he's just like, no, I want to get the hard to get one. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Classic. So which what you gonna give boldness? What you gotta give it? Uh hmm. I am trying to think of ways it could be bolder. Well, I mean, yeah, it has some very sweet moments, a little bit of plot convenience with like the priest just showing up and happening to have the card. Happening to have the card, happening to also be the one on the battlefield, also be the one to like tell uh Nana and Diane that their uncle and aunt were coming back. So yeah, I mean I'm I'm going to go ahead and give it three bonus points. Okay. I think they're well-earned bonus points. I understand you giving it five. I'm just but... over the mood for this movie, so <laughs> my critical thinking skills are probably not at their best. Longevity, does the movie stand up? Yes, I think it does. I think, I think anyone would enjoy this movie. I really... Yeah, I, I, I think do. so. I think that it, it's... Um, it actually... Um, well, I don't know. I want, maybe I'll save this for legacy. Okay. Um, so I'll give it five. I'm just going to give it five, 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 I guess. Uh, so longevity. I'm going to give it five as well, because I do think it really holds up very well. And if this came out today, I do think it would be like considered a solid. Rom-com ish type movie, but like a little bit more. A little more meat to it. Yeah, a little bit more meat to it. Here's the thing. I think that you could take the the undertitle of A Tale of Two Humans <laughs> from Sunrise, pick it up, and walk it over to Seventh Heaven and drop it down right there. And it would make more sense, yeah. It would make more sense because it does strike me as maybe not a universal uh, story, but a story that we all kind of imagine ourselves if we're interested in romance that... i mean spoilers chico never tries to kill diane like in uh sunrise so yeah. it's like i find their story much more relatable <laughs> than what uh the man and the woman go through in sunrise right. yeah yeah i think it would i think it would stand up well i don't know if people would find it a little bit hokey but you would have to be an awfully cynical awful cynical 1990s sort. sort of teenager um let's talk about legacy so what what does this movie pass on to future generations i'm gonna go five here again because it's actually influenced a lot um so i guess this will spoil the movie if you've seen la la land uh the recent movie that came out a few years ago but apparently the ending of that movie is directly inspired by seventh heaven oh really and um I was reading on IMDb that that somebody uh, who is pretty important in Filmland, when he was dying, he wanted his last movie he watched to be Seventh Heaven. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, so. So serious legacy. 
serious legacy. Um, and I think, you know, it really made Gaynor and Farrell's careers. They went on to make 11 more movies. Yeah, yeah. There's kind of a domino effect after that. It's like all yeah. the movies that they made after that kind of became, you know, what what we think of as romance movies. Yeah, I mean, it really now. set the template in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, the, I can see that. The reluctant, gotta fake a marriage. Uh, I don't really like you. Oh boy, whoops, I like you. Oh golly. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I think it just, yeah, five. I'm going to give it a five as well, because just as you, I think it's because you told me that it was a very popular movie at the time. I like, okay, that's why it feels like this is the Hamlet that everyone is quoting. You you know what I'm talking (laughs) about? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's obviously the template for a lot of stuff that came up after it. Okay. We have accounted for all our points. Okay. We definitely have a new high score. Oh, yeah. Because this one got 111. Woohoo. Which means it beats out the racket, which got 93. I think that's fair. I mean, I think of the racket much more fondly now than I I feel like I did right after I watched it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, I think it's an excellent movie. And uh, I like that it's very different in tone from Seventh Heaven. Because I feel like with, with both movies, you get different things you like. You get the action and the kind of more modern feel with the racket, mm-hmm. whereas you get romance and just depth with Seventh Heaven. Yeah, I feel like they're both good examples of Hollywood when they're when Hollywood's working on all cylinders. cylinders. Yeah, yeah, two very different movies that um, that you can both salute and give a nomination for an award for, such as the Best Picture. Um, from the Academy Awards. I mean, it makes sense for both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see why Wings won. I mean, it's, I, but I feel like in a way it won because it just tried the hardest with the, with the <laughs> yeah. like, you know, it's like, uh, okay, A's triple plus for effort. And it's not a bad movie at all. It's a no. very, very good movie. Yeah, exactly. But it just doesn't have the heart to me that Seventh Heaven does. And it, I mean, it does have heart and it does have gut wrenching moments, but. It was definitely more rah, rah, rah America. Whereas I think mm. because this movie said like focused on dirt poor people in yeah. Paris, it just, it was just a more surprising angle. And I appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. It did. A, well, obviously it got 111 from uh, us. Yeah. That's an excellent job. So that's my pick for winner. That It wins the best not skirt for me. I guess that kind of, uh, it's a foregone conclusion, but. Are we going to nominate it for the 1927 to 28 Not Square Award? I nominate it. I'm going to go ahead and agree with you. It's one of our nominees. And speaking of like discussing what we're going to be doing, I think this is our last. Our last one. This is our last this, one for 2728. 2728. What a um, wild ride. What I'm thinking is that we might watch The Circus which was oh, also yeah. an Oscar winner uh, for 27-28, although not for Best Picture. And the legend is that that's because it would have won everything. So why not just let <laughs> it? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> because it's a comedy and this is the oh, Academy. that's true. Um, yeah. We hate laughter. 
basically. I, I like Circus. It's been a few years since I've seen it, so I look forward to rewatching it. So, yeah, maybe that's what we'll do next. And then what I would like to do is maybe have a little roundup for the year. Just not, nothing long, nothing, uh, nothing an hour and a half. Just <laughs> just uh, a quick, you know, hey, these are the movies. Here's what we liked about them. Here's yeah, our nominees. Yeah. And then we'll pick an overall winner for the year. And we'll say the winner is. And it's it, going to be Seventh Heaven, but it, don't tell Jason. And it will... It will most likely be seventh heaven, but um, who knows? Maybe the circus will blow our minds. Plot twist, maybe. Um, but you know, it's a comedy, so so yeah. I mean, we, it's just, we, it stars be, that, that little fellow. We would be that look, yeah, that that chap, that chap. If it goes to a comedy, though, we might get ejected from our own academy of two people. Yeah, god, that would be pathetic, huh? I know, it'd be very sad. Okay. All right. So that's it for now. That's it for Seventh Heaven. Um, watch it, watch it, watch it. It's amazing. And if you don't like it, I don't want to hear from you because I <laughs> don't think you're human. But if you do have other uh, things, other opinions to say, I could be and, open. You know, um, we'll be setting up a probably a Twitter account at some point, yes. uh, some some way to contact us. We'll probably get that information to you pretty soon here. Um, if you like this podcast and have friends that you think might also enjoy it, other movie fans, why don't you go ahead and pass that along? Yeah. Um, we'd love to hear from more people and have other people, more people hear of us, I guess. Yeah, chime in. Yeah. Um, and that's it for me. Yeah. Uh, stay safe out there. Uh, don't let the COVIDs get you. Uh, yes, please don't. Uh, yeah, don't trust the people in charge of this country, but trust WHO. Let's not turn this into a political screed, Jason. My God, this friendly little movie Tr- podcast. Trust, trust in yourself. You're, you, listener, are a very remarkable fellow. You keep looking up. Look up to the stars. Look up to the stars. Look up to the stars.